Entering the Freedom Hut. With the midterms approaching but days away, the Democrats and the Republicans are having a throwdown over immigration. We'll talk about what that looks like and also all the rest of it coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One more make, make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. As the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. Trump has delivered on the things that they care about most. He has delivered racism for these people. He has delivered misogyny for these people. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. Republicans have to call this out because their souls are on the line. It's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant lie. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. We're going to see if this rain lasts for 30 days or two years or a thousand year Reich. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men. (laughs) And it does. And what Trump has tapped into is evil. What Trump does with the power that people give him is turns it to evil. Because he's evil. He's dark. This has now become a struggle about good versus evil. And the president of the United States is evil. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. That was a montage of the loonies we decided to pull for you. Because, wait, I thought I thought we were just going to tone down the political rhetoric. I, I, I thought we were all going to be better to each other now, right? I, I, wasn't that what the media was saying yesterday, last week, all month? Hasn't October been dominated by all these media stories of, oh, we need to tone down the rhetoric. We need to stop. And, but here's the problem. You can't tell somebody, hey, evil, stupid Nazi scum, tone down the rhetoric in our politics. That doesn't work. And what we are seeing in the very self-defeating calls for us to all be just, you know, just take it down a notch, is that the people who are really stoking the fires of hatred and animosity the most are the very people in the media who are telling us that we need to be less heated in our rhetoric. Oh, what an irony this is. Yesterday I told you about this uh, this journo, Julia Yaffa, uh, who decided to say that ISIS had not radicalized as many people as Donald Trump has, that uh, ISIS is not as as much of a radicalization concern as Donald Trump is. And she was... She was, in fact, you know, roundly criticized for that. Although, as I noted at the time, serious journalist Jake Tapper 
uh, let her go off on that little tangent without without even challenging her, you know, without even jumping in to say, uh, okay, okay, you, you need to, you need to take a breath and not say such ridiculous stuff on air. But I tweeted out with that article. Those of you who are on Twitter can see check this out. I I, I said in response to her completely insane statement on air, which she did then have to back down from and apologize because it was so dumb that it was indefensible. But but in response to that, I said, this is not even the dumbest thing that you will see or hear on CNN all week. Not, not even this week will that be the single most, because we got an election coming up next week, that people are going to try to outdo one another on the left with stupid, hyperbolic, destructive, nasty comments. I said it wasn't the dumbest thing this week, and I present to you, to prove me correct, none other than Mr. Don Lemon, play clip two. I keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity, but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some, some, some people who are marching you know, towards the border like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? That's right, folks. Multimillionaire CNN anchor says we need to stop demonizing people, comma, and understand that white men on the right are the real threat. They're the real evil. The real monsters. Maybe we should ban them from traveling. I didn't make him say it. I'm not taking his words out of context. I'm just playing for you what he said on national TV. And you can say, Buck, why is there so much? Why are you focusing on this? And come on. No, no, no. He is representative of the overall mindset on the left. That's why we did the montage. This is this is what these people, this is what the other side, the left, the Democrats, what they think. They really believe that they're not the problem at all when it comes to nasty, overheated, dangerous rhetoric. The other side is the problem, dot, 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 because the other side's a bunch of evil, racist, Nazi, bigot, xenophobe, you know, xenophobes with blood on their hands. Oh, I see. That, that is at the heart of why we are having such a a descent into political madness in this country. They don't even have the self-awareness. They don't even have the, 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 the honesty to be able to understand that you are not going to improve the temperature of political rhetoric if, in fact, your go-to position is that the political rhetoric is bad because the other side is basically Hitler. And I wasn't exaggerating. How many, how many references to Reichs and, you know, uh, Reichstag fires and Nazis and everything did you hear in that opening montage? This is how they think about the other side. And you know what it, you know what it really drives a lot of this? 
is the success uh, the successes that Trump has and the relative failures of the eight years of Obamaism before it. Uh, that they told us, they being all the opponents to the Trump movement, they told us that he would fail miserably, that he was completely in over his head, that he had no idea what he was doing, and that we would all, essentially, they would be able to laugh at us as we all suffered the horrible consequences of having Donald Trump as president. But you see... We have suffered the consequences of Donald Trump as president, and it's suffering with things such as the lowest unemployment rate in 60 years, the lowest black and Hispanic unemployment rates of all time, a booming economy, a ton of investment, no massive foreign wars getting started, no crazy foreign military interventions that are going to send our bravest and best Americans into harm's way for missions that the powers that be aren't even clear on how they're supposed to end and what's supposed to happen. That's that's those are the consequences of Trumpism. And now that we've felt that for two years, now that we've seen it for ourselves, there's a desperation on the left. What does it say about the judgment of some of the most celebrated names in the Democrat Party, whether it's politicians or pundits or anybody with real power on the left? What does it say that they have been Wrong, wrong, wrong. All they can do is criticize Trump's words, his persona, his attitude, his tone. Uh, but they're not able to say, oh, look at this issue of look at this major policy issue where, where Trump either lied to his lied to his supporters, lied to his base or failed miserably. No, quite the opposite. They they hate Trump more because he is successful. They hate Trump more because he is, by his ability to withstand them and succeed despite all of their efforts, he's an affront to the left's very sense of self. He makes them feel insecure about their beliefs. And on the left, belief and politics are tied together in such a way that the true believers, the left-wing zealots, don't know who they are if they do not have their progressive virtue signaling. They don't know who they are if they can't believe that CNN is objective and the New York Times isn't liberal and you know all the smart people, all the good people vote Democrat. It rattles them in a way that people that view politics really just as a, as a system for managing conflict in a in a uh, civil society, which is what I think conservatives that have a good perspective on this understand it to be, uh, don't feel as shaken up by, right? We see this as, okay, what are we getting? How is it going? What are the results? We try to take a rational approach to it, and, and even a somewhat dispassionate, although I can't say that's always the case. I do like it when Trump owns the libs. I find it very amusing. I think it's very necessary, too. I think the media in this country will never be the same, and that's a good thing. I think the days of believing that there is an objective, neutral press that is the, the center of our, our media apparatus, that's never coming back. That's gone. Now we, now we expect honesty and transparency, or else there will be at least pushback. There will be a fight over it. But the calls for civility from Democrats for the last couple of weeks, as I've been saying all along, have been in bad faith. What they want 
is for conservatives and for Trump and for the right to engage in self-doubt and to stop fighting. And there will be no reward. There will be no meeting in the middle when the right decides to stop pushing for its beliefs and what it thinks is correct and what is best for the country. All you will have is the left exploit the situation for their own ends and then go back to what we saw for the eight years of the Obama administration, which was rub your enemies' faces in it at every opportunity. Right. The, the left under Obama took the attitude of no prisoners. Politically speaking, they didn't just you know overrun conservatism for at least the first few years of Obama's time in office. They overran the conservative outposts and then were bayoneting all the survivors. It was rough. There was no good faith. There was no meeting in the middle. There was no bipartisanship, no triangulation, nothing. Now we're to believe that we should when it looks like there's so much more on the horizon that would be good for the country and that Trump could accomplish, now we're supposed to listen to the opposition, some would say our political enemies, and take their advice for how we fight when we're winning? I don't think so. I don't think so. 844-900-2825. If you want to chat, open up some lines here. 844-900-BUCK. We are live from the swamp in Washington, D.C., We'll be back with much more. Thank you, President Trump. Thank you, Thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. 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 Thank you, That's a great gesture. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to know. This guy just had a better. Look, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. A couple hours ago. See, Trump shakes your hand. There's no problem. Thank you all very much. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Good job. Good job. Thank you. I love you, Ivanka. <laughs> so that was the reception that President Trump, Melania, Ivanka, and Jared received when they went to uh, the hospital where I believe uh, the some of the, the shooting victims from the, the terrible anti-Semitic hate crime in Pittsburgh were being treated. There, there you have all. Of, and look, that was unscripted. I, I, there's there's video of it. You can see they're just the the first family is walking by and all those people you heard it. They're just want to say thank you. They really appreciate it. The president came out there in a show of solidarity and a show of support and an effort to uh, let people know, let the people in the community of Pittsburgh and let those who have been directly affected by this know that the president of the United States is there for them, that the, the government and the American people, and the, the symbolism here, of course, is that the, the representative uh, of the American people is there in support and solidarity with the victims and with the city of Pittsburgh and what, what's happened to that community, what's happened to the Jewish community there in the last week. This should be as straightforward and, and nonpartisan a thing 
as is possible, right? I mean, there, there's nothing about this that should raise anyone's hackles. There's nothing about this that should get anybody upset. And yet, and yet, as we know, uh, there are so many people, so many people who made this an issue of Trump not, you know, Trump being a bad guy here somehow. Trump is not welcome. That's what they were saying. Not welcome. Huffington Post today. I know. See, I go to these things. I go to these things because these sites so that uh, the rest of you don't have to spend your time rooting around in the bowels of the leftist mind. But the really the, the second top story on that site is Trump's visit to a city that didn't want him. This is just disgusting. They, they find a few people here and there. They find some left-wing activists who don't want the president there, and they use that. They extrapolate from that somehow that the city of Pittsburgh does not want the president of the United States to show up, and then they report that as news. This is how they play the games. This is how you see the bias occurring. I mean, I, anyone could do this. Oh, I, I found three people and. They all agree with me on something. And then I read a story. The people of D.C. say that D.C. is going Republican next year. Well, is that based on anything that's worth telling anybody? Did I ask three three people that were you know, wasted outside of a bar who were just trying to pull my leg? I mean, what, what what's going on here? This is how they do it, though. This is how the left engages in this manipulation of reality. And they really just wanted to make this even a more divisive moment, make it even more difficult for the president of the United States to be able to do his job here, which is to try and help and heal the American people by turning this into some, you know, bash Trump session. These people are a disgrace. And you know what it really comes down to? They don't believe that he's the president. They just they they don't accept it. Not my president. Not my president. You remember that the chants on the streets. They think that he's not just not their president, but he's just not the president, period. Unfortunately, they are wrong, but they're delusional enough that they think it doesn't matter. Uh, They should be ashamed, but as we see, the progressives are incapable of shame these days. He's holding the line. For America, Buck Sexton is back. We got some lines lit in the Freedom Hut team. Let's get to it. Charlie in Maryland. Hello, sir. Thank you, Buck, for taking my call. Thank you. I know you're going to get on the subject of this uh, birthright deal. And if people are informed of the 14th Constitution Amendment, it has nothing to do with illegal birthright. Yep. Uh, oh, I'm going to hit that in depth coming up later on in the show. But just I guess as kind of a, as kind of a preview, uh, the courts have never held that that is that, that it is the case that illegal aliens. No court has held that illegal aliens uh, should be given citizenship. It's never been addressed by the courts before. And when you yeah. really think about it, that was clearly not the intent of those who wrote the amendment in 1866. And why would that be the decision of the government now? It makes no sense 
to consider people who are foreign citizens, meaning citizens of a foreign country, who are not legally in this country, who are supposed to be removed from this country as soon as they come into contact with law enforcement and our government apparatus, that their children should be automatic, uh, or children born here should be automatic citizens? It doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It was formed to give the birthright to the children of slaves. Well, the fourth, yeah, the Fourteenth Amendment was well, it was for it was for yeah the, the the descendants of of slaves after the Civil War was won, and it was very explicitly for uh, that purpose. And it also, uh, and I'll note this later on, it when you look at the way it didn't deal with Native American populations at the time, and you know, there's a lot of legalese here about the different jurisdictions and overlapping jurisdiction, but it should be clear. It's pretty amazing, really, that we've gone this far without anyone challenging it. And I think Trump is absolutely right. If nothing else, we should have clarity on the issue. I mean, we should at least have the courts weighing in and explaining. And and I think that the, the problem here, Charlie, and this is what the Democrats don't really understand, is that no matter what, once again, they are showing, they are tipping their, their hand here, and we are seeing the Democrats are in favor of illegal immigration, illegal aliens being in this country. Uh, you know, they always take the side of illegals in every issue on every issue, and Americans take notice of this. I think I think our president is slamming it in their face, and yeah. he has every right to do that. Yep, I think he's I think he's making the I think he's making the the right move on that. So, thank you very much, Charlie, for call, calling in from Maryland, Stephen in Springfield, Massachusetts. What's up, Stephen? <laughs> Hey, bro. Hey, Mr. Buckle, the wise one. I I really enjoy your show. Your 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 discussions are extremely thoughtful, and I really appreciate that. You're very um, kind. Um, but 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 the thing the thing I want to mention, and this is, believe it or not, this even ties in with Don Lemon. The 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 left has uh, their venom towards white men is really their venom towards losing working class voters. Um, and especially with the Trump presidency, they've lost a lot of union vote. This is their animus towards like working class voters. But 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 that's not really my main point. Um, the, the thing I was wondering wondering is um, the, the, this whole birther thing got me thinking about anchor babies when it comes to welfare. Um, be, because there's a crisis of a caravan coming and then two more caravans after that caravan. Um, would what do you think of the idea of Trump freezing brand new welfare? applications in light of this crisis until this gets sorted out Be- because one of one of my pet peeves for a long long time is that people don't understand that a right in this country means your your ability and freedom to do something it is not the right to pound on a government desk and expect money well in terms of welfare and and immigrants i can say that technically no immigrant including legal immigrants are supposed to be on welfare, in fact, in immigration law, there's a there's a there, there are clauses about how you cannot be a a ward of the state. Uh, so you you cannot be a dependent on the state, and that you know, and that's that's supposed to be the way that we you know our immigration system uh, is set up. As we know, that's not the case. What ends up happening is, for example, with the anchor uh, the anchor baby issue, once you have an a, a child who is a is is given citizenship you know to to illegal parents then benefits accrue to that child so then you start and and it goes to the household so essentially the benefits start coming in for that child and they have to go through the adults right you don't give a a a two-year-old you don't give a newborn 
government benefits, you have to give it to the parents. And so, so there are ways that families, because they also will adjust these things for family size. So even if you have a few illegals and a few legals living together, uh, they'll do uh, immigrant. I mean, they, they'll do welfare benefits based upon the number of people. And then when you add into it on top of that, people that are engaging in, in fraud, people that are using fake secu- social security numbers and, and trying to find other ways to register for benefits. Look, I saw this on work at the NYPD, and I'd always ask them, how much welfare fraud is there really? And they'd say, we have no idea. And you know why? Because no one wants to prosecute welfare fraud. As long as it's one, if it's one individual who is defrauding the state and just getting individual benefits, most district attorneys in, uh, or in this case, AUSAs, in, in different parts of the country, especially where there are a lot of legal aliens, they don't want to go after those cases. You've got to do the stuff that some people do where they're collecting the benefits for 10 people and they're getting, you know, $10,000 a month in fraudulent. Then they'll throw you in prison and they'll make an example of you. But if you're just accessing food stamps illegally, no one's going to bring charges against that They're because it looks bad, right? It looks mean. So there are a lot of ways that people get access to the system even when they're not supposed to. And then, of course, when you add into it emergency room visits and uh, school, for example, doesn't matter if you're illegal, right? You, 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 get, uh, you, you get school if you live in the district or if you live in the area. You get to go to public school. So there's a lot of benefits that automatically accrue just for the physical status of being in this country. So, you know, adjusting the way we do welfare, I mean, there's certainly it's worth looking at that, Stephen. But the, the biggest issue is what do we do with the fact there are a lot of people? And, and I, I keep saying this. No one cares, but it's true. There's 20 million. It's not 11 million. There are 20 million illegals in the country. There's no way this number they keep telling us is accurate. No way. When does the government ever able to handle a complex mathematical problem like this where there's a tremendous amount of politics at play? So, I mean, keep in mind that the U.S. military has never even had a full, they're actually just doing it. I think they're engaged in it right now. Until this year, they never had a full audit. You really think the government knows how many people are in the country illegally? It's just, just no way. Did, did I kind of answer your question, Steve? And I'm obviously kind of fired up about this one. But. Oh, okay. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is um, they, I, I saw a thing about, like, bringing troops on the border, and they're not supposed to be used for this domestic. But, but they used a single example of, like, uh, some guy named Wong. I guess he was shot trying to enter the country. But, but this is a lot different than a multi-thousand caravan. Um, I mean, the, the, the military is most certainly justified in doing this. And, and when it comes to, like, municipal ID cards, I've heard dissertations on public radio about illegal aliens and sanctuary cities and the municipal ID cards and how they hook them up with benefits. So they, they can't pretend to me that this stuff doesn't happen. Oh, it absolutely happens. I mean, there's, there's, there's clearly a, uh, a lot of different ways to tap the welfare system. And keep in mind that there are all these groups and NGOs and others that assist illegal aliens in trying to get them maximum benefits, essentially try to engage in a a transfer of wealth from the taxpayer to people that aren't even supposed to be in the country. But this is this is what happens when you have a Democrat party that is effectively dishonest about it, but an open borders party. And that's and that's where we are as a as a country. So. All right. Thanks for calling in, Stephen. I appreciate it. So, you know, he mentioned he mentioned that Don Lemon statement before. Don Lemon goes, let's not vilify each other because the real problem are white males and maybe we should have a white male travel ban. That's what he said on TV. I, you know, it's I, I can't speak for why CNN goes with the people they go with in terms of big anchor, uh, big anchor shares and big jobs and all that. I, I don't know. I mean, it's 
it's kind of a mystery to me. It's definitely not based on who's the best at it. But here is another individual, because our, our caller there mentioned this, about the hostility of the progressive left to white males. And this is a very real thing. By the way, I think his analysis about this was accurate. His analysis that part of that hostility, at least, is that in the era of Obama, it was believed that a lot of working class, because uh, a lot of working class whites did vote for Obama, did vote for Democrats. And so it was believed that they were going to be a pretty solid constituency going forward. And the reason Hillary lost and Trump won was because a lot of those previous Obama voting states and congressional districts went for Trump this time around. So the white working class was the differentiator in the last election. And there's a, as you can imagine, a tremendous amount of resentment from the left toward those people. And and the, the funny thing about it is that if they want to win the next election, they actually have to win over those people. But they, they just the left can't help themselves. I mean, they, they really do have contempt for the, the white working class. In fact, I even know a lot of Democrats who will admit that the left has contempt for the white working class. Uh, so you know, I, I do think that that's that is worth noting. Um, but here's another example of somebody who is going on TV and saying more about this stuff about how white people are, you know, this, uh, this is a white person problem is what this guy says. Play clip three. This is really more than anything a white person problem. And what we need to do as white people is we need to understand the simple idea that the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. We have to educate our families, our children. We have to introduce them to the very fraught history. With Trump, it started with the birther nonsense. But before that, it was Pat Buchanan. It was Lee Atwater. Most Americans, unfortunately, too many Americans, don't understand our history, our DNA, how this country was founded. And... This week, there were three terrorist attacks, and all of those terrorists were white people. I think it's time we start looking at the members of the media. All these white guys, especially on the radio where I exist, where I created my show to combat this nonsense, and start calling them out by name. They are fanning the flames each and every day for hours on their radio shows, Rev. Yeah. Everything that guy just said was wrong and, and sheer idiocy. Uh, this whole notion, I shouldn't say everything. I mean, some of the statements he said are factually correct, but but his analysis here that we have a white person problem because there have been a few terrorist attacks. And this follows on with the Don Lemon analysis as well, which we played earlier in the hour, which is that, oh, well, the, the real threat here, and this is what he's going with too, this guy, Pete Dominic, the real threat to American safety when it comes to terrorism are you know, white males. I, I want to address this after because I actually worked in counterterrorism, not just some bloviating talking head, know nothing who's like, oh, all the terrible white terrorists. Uh, I worked in terrorism, both the domestic and the international level. I will tell you why the real threat to this country from terrorism is far and away radical Islam. No question about it. And why that is, I'll tell you in a moment. Stay with me. So this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. You have a guy who writes for the uh, Washington Post, Eugene Scott. He, he tweeted out to PolitiFact today, uh, are white males responsible for more mass shootings than any other group? You hear this. And, and white males, they also associate 
with the right, even though there have been a whole bunch of mass shooters who are white males that were, if anything, political leftists. But, you know, th- this is this is what you, you often hear. I mean, this is the storyline. This is the way that they will uh, they'll talk about all this. Um, and yet when you start to break this down, you say, OK, OK, let, let's take this guy at The Washington Post seriously. A moment. Let, let's let's think about this. Let's say white males are the majority of shooters in this country, of mass shooters in this country. Um, turns out that's not true. It turns out actually mass shootings are essentially line up with what you would expect in terms of demographic representation uh, for all the different ethnic groups in this country. But uh, here's what you find out. Remember, mass shootings. I'm not talking about overall violence. Overall violence, now you get into a whole other conversation about some communities have a much higher rate of violence than other communities. But for mass shootings, it's it's pretty evenly distributed. Um, But 95% of shooters plus, I mean, probably more like 97, 98% of shooters, might even be 99 are male. So remember, we're being told white males are the bad guys that we have to be worried about. They're the terrorists. They're the real threat. Um, That's what Don Lemon says. That's what that other guy with some radio show I've never heard of says. 99% of shooters are are male in this country. The country's also 70% white. So if, if, let's say, 99% of shooters are male and the country is 70% white, but... Only 54% of mass shooters are white, then that means that there's a disproportionate representation um, of other groups that are non white that are involved in shooting. So, so, what point do people at the Washington Post and other places think they're really making about this? I mean, what I remember, I said it's pretty evenly distributed, but there's actually some. The outlier here is not that there are so many uh, white mass shooters in the country. So why are they pointing to that? I mean, I don't think they really want to go down this road. I also think that looking at ethnicity when it comes to mass shootings is is an irrelevant and and really pointless exercise. Uh, But the left likes to do this because they think of us all based upon our our ethnicity as 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 an essential part of identity, uh, whether we agree with that or or not. Um, Then you get into the terrorism side of this, and I'll, I'll just sort of make this brief. Uh, that that the Tiki Torch Mafia uh, of morons from Charlottesville is talked about so much in the media. It just goes to show you that they can't find where are the where is this these white nationalists I'm always hearing about. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying how many are there really? Very very few. And to refer to that as a rise of of real terrorism in the country and that that's the biggest terrorist threat and people like that or people like this pipe bomber guy. Uh, we don't have the TSA. Because of the pipe bomber, we don't have the National Counterterrorism Center and the multi-billion, now going on trillions of dollars, uh, spent on a security apparatus for this country of all kinds. Because we're worried about right-wing nationalist terrorism, we have it because of Islamic radicalism. All right, now let's the 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 post nine eleven security apparatus we have is specifically designed to deal with the threat of radical Islam. And I know that right now we're in a little bit of a lull in terms of radical Islamic, you know, knock on wood, radical Islamic attacks in the United States. But that doesn't mean that that's not the primary threat. And people who say this garbage about how the the real concern, the real terrorist threat, the real threat of extremist violence comes from white nationalists uh, are being disingenuous and they don't know what they're talking about. I know that there are major, uh, major 
departments and agencies that yes, they they do have uh, they do have you know some entities that deal with you know radical uh, neo Nazis and things like that. They have very very little work to do day in and day out, folks. Counterterrorism that's assigned to uh, you know anarchists and right wing nationalists and stuff they're not busy. It is the counter jihadist folks that are always very busy. It seems lately that many of my Republican colleagues, and there's still a lot of friends I have in the Senate and the House in both parties, but our Republican colleagues seem to have lost their nerve. Yeah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. They're spending more time protecting the White House and choosing party over country than any time before. Party over country. This is something that I hear. Um, this is something that I hear from a lot of never Trumpers as a as a slogan. I really see it more. I see it on there. Essentially, whenever I see a Republican that has party over country on their Twitter profile or or on Facebook or any, or you know wearing a T shirt that says part or I'm sorry, country over party, country over party. That's the well, that's what they're saying. Whenever I see someone with country over party, I'm like, oh, okay. So you're really a Democrat now, because uh, that's what ends up happening. Time and again, I, I see this phenomenon of, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to put country over party. That means uh, I will say whatever I have to say right now so that I can get on MSNBC, uh, so that I can make sure that I still, you know, am, am in a position uh, to write books and be treated in this way by the media that I'll have homes as a quote GOP strategist. Uh, I I just hate it. You know, they do this. They got all these fake Republicans, not just Jennifer Rubin, the Washington Post. She's the most egregious, but this guy, Max Boot has lost his mind. I mean, he's out there and you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything nasty about him personally because I don't, I don't do that to people that I, that I have had some personal relationship with of something. And I, we weren't friends, but I know him. But, you know, even Tom Nichols, but I will say Tom Nichols says he's a Democrat now. Okay, fine. I I can handle that. I I think that there's honesty in that. You know, he he went from the Republican Party is is terrible and Trump is the other stuff to uh, I'm a Democrat. And and there I, I can talk to people who will tell me who they are, what they are and what they're about. I can't talk to people who are just making crap up that that's not fun for anyone. That's a waste of everybody's time. Uh, so you know, Tom Nichols is a guy. He's been on the show a bunch of times in the past, uh, a couple of years ago at least. He's a Democrat now, but I, I just hate that slogan. I I I find it so uh, it, it's inherently condescending. Oh, I'm about I'm about country over party, so that's why I'm going to be a Democrat. Well, apparently you weren't much of a Republican if you think that the Republican agenda. Like, for example, all of these conservative judges that Trump is getting through, not just in the Supreme Court. We have two fantastic Supreme Court justices now, thanks to Donald Trump, but also at the federal appeals court level and just in the federal judiciary overall. We have all these constitutional conservatives who are going to be there for decades and decades to come, thanks to Trump. So you you think that party over... I'm sorry, I keep getting them mixed. You think the country over party is making Democrats win? And this is when I knew that the the never Trumpers had really uh, jumped the shark. 
was when all of a sudden they weren't just trying to convince in really nasty tones other Trump supporters and Trump himself to change their ways. They were hoping they would lose, which means lose to the Democrats as a means of as sort of purifying the Republican Party. I mean, that's the kind of insanity that that I'm talking about. So whew, it is just it is just wild. It's just wild to see this happening. And, you know, that, then there's also what I see from our own side. And, you know, I'm very frustrated with this today, but not not surprising at all. <sighs> you know, I know he's not running anymore, but you'd think that after all the time he'd spend in conservative circles. You know, here's here's Paul Ryan, not a constitutional scholar, not a lawyer. But then again, neither am I. But I seem to know more about this than Paul Ryan, among many other things I know more about than Paul Ryan. Uh, but here's what he says about the 14th Amendment. Just when this is a very clear political and, yes, partisan issue, right before the election, we can count on, on, on Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, to come forward, and this is what he does, play eight. You cannot end birthright citizenship with an executive order. We didn't like it when Obama tried changing immigration laws. If I'm a believer in following the plain text of the Constitution, and I think in this case the 14th Amendment is pretty clear, um, and that would involve a very, very lengthy constitutional process. Mm -hmm. But where we obviously totally agree with the president is getting at the root issue here, which is um, unchecked illegal immigration. Uh, The 14th Amendment is not clear in that the language, when you look at the language, leaves open room, right? Subject to the jurisdiction thereof. As we've been discussing, if you are subject to a foreign, if a foreign country can say, hey, hand that, hand that guy back over to us, and we go, okay, he's yours, which, which jurisdiction is he really subject to? Right? I mean, you know, this is where you start to get an, okay, well, hold on a second. And, and, and also, you know, as an American, when you're traveling in a foreign country, if you're an American and you're traveling in France and, and you're like, hey, I don't want to pay any more American taxes, which you have to do even when you live abroad, by the way. We do that in this country. They don't do it in many other countries. Uh, and, and you say, well, I'm only subject to French jurisdiction now because I'm on French soil, uh, French, French soil, French soil. Uh, I'm only subject to, to their jurisdiction. We would say, no, no, you're subject to our jurisdiction still. You're an American citizen. Right? So jurisdiction is not just about geography. And that's where this gets more, that's where this gets more complicated. And there are instances already of where you could be born on U.S. soil and you could even be here legally, but you would not be a citizen, right, in the case of the sons of uh, and daughters of diplomats who are born here, they maintain their own nationality, their own citizenship. So that's a place where there's no clarity at all from the courts. And just for Paul Ryan to pretend that he's opposed to illegal immigration when he's pro-DACA, he's pro this huge, huge increases in guest worker programs and has just been so wimpy on immigration for so long. And for him, when he's not running again, to come out now and say this, and just give a kick in the shins to the GOP side. I gotta say, I was I was pleased that at least at least Trump was was willing to call him out on this one. I mean, it was good to see that. Uh, here we go, Paul Ryan. This is from Donald Trump. "Quote: Paul Ryan should be focusing on holding the majority rather than giving his opinions about birthright citizenship, something he knows nothing about. Our new Republican majority will work on this, closing the immigration loopholes and securing our border." President Trump is completely right. Uh, Paul Ryan, look, it's one thing to, if Paul Ryan were to come out and say, look, there's there's a lack of clarity on this, and you know we the courts 
need to take this up. It is, it is an important issue. But that's not what he said. He said, you know, it's pretty obvious that the left is right here. That, yeah, that's right. We want people to show up and go and stay in maternity hotel or whatever it's called, birth hotels, whatever that is when you show up and have a baby when you're a foreigner. And the whole point is to get them citizenship here. And, you know, birth tourism, I, that, that's clearly not what the law intends. But, you know, Ryan just can't help himself. I, you know, he's a guy who clearly, his all, all, all gee shucks, I, I think he is much more about Paul Ryan than he is about the party, dare I say. And and that brings me back to how I don't accept this separation of party and country. Because I think that the Republican Party is better for the country. Therefore, I support the Republican Party. It's, you know, that bringing me back to that formulation for a moment. And then I just have one other thing here for you. I want you to hear, this is Joe Donnelly, who's uh, who's running in Indi- Indiana, Representative, uh, or Indi- uh, Senator, rather, Joe Donnelly. Here's what he just said during, during a debate yesterday. This is incredible. Play clip one. We want everybody to have a chance in Indiana and in America. And my offices reflect that, both on the campaign side and on the Senate side. Our state director is Indian American. But he does an amazing job. Our director of all constituent services, she's African-American. But she does an even more incredible job than you could ever imagine. (laughs) I mean, what the heck is this guy saying? I mean, could you imagine if a Republican said this? I know he misspoke, but wow. Hey, uh, producer Mike, are you there? Oh, all right. Well, gosh, producer Mike, is he on a cigarette break? Uh, uh, DJ Brandon, I just want to let you know that, uh, you're a, you're a, you're a white guy, but you're pretty good at your job. I just want to let you know. That doesn't sound like much of a compliment, does it, Brandon? Thanks. I right? think. I mean, Brandon, you, you, your, your name is Brandon and you're a white dude, but you'd be amazed at how good you are at running the board for this show. People would be like, huh? Yeah, Exactly. So this is what you get. This is this is the Democrats, the best and the brightest, folks. The Democrat Party, Senator Joe uh, Joe Donnelly. This is this is what the other side offers up. If a Republican did it, that would probably be the end. There's been a lot of talk lately about um, uh, uh, lowering the temperature of political discourse. Ha- have you have you seen right. evidence of that? Well, I think when we win, you will see evidence of that. Because when we do win, we will have, as we open the new Congress, we will honor the vows of our founders, e pluribus unum, from many one. What now I'm saying is, we will win. <laughs> we will win. We will win. Please don't say that. Do you want to say that on, on Hillary's fireworks barge that she canceled? <laughs> you know, I just can't help but, but be reminded of how you know, that's the same, you know, we will win. That's the same Pelosi that was Donald Trump. It's not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Uh, remember that? We used to have that actually as part of the show opening here. But there's something very, very instructive in what Nancy Pelosi, who expects to be the next Speaker of the House, already been Speaker before, thinks she's going to be Speaker again. Third in line for the presidency, folks. A pretty remarkable thing when you really think about it. Nancy Pelosi, under certain circumstances, could become the commander-in-chief if, in fact, the Democrats win the House and if she becomes Speaker, which is not a completely done deal, let me say. It's not something that 
because I, I got good Democrat sources as well, because uh, some Democrats like me. And uh, there's a little bit of a of an, an insurgency brewing among the Democrats that could prevent Pelosi from being speaker. Personally, I think she will she will manage to defeat them. She is a completely uh, <laughs> she is a ruthless and uh, you know. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go so far as to say no. Maybe soulless, but definitely ruthless uh, politician, and will find a way to defeat any any efforts to get in the way of her power. Um, but notice how she said, "Once we win the House, we'll tone down the rhetoric." This is one of the Demo- This is a central theme for Democrats, and not just because I could point to other for other times that there was something similar said. Right? There were other times when they would say. Um, oh, you know, when I'll have more flexibility when it is, uh, you know, what did Obama say again? You know, after my election, I'll have more flexibility. And then Medvedev was like, I will transmit this to Vladimir, you know, and everyone's supposed to be like, oh, that's a normal thing to say. So basically, you head fake the American people. And if you go back and remember in the Obama years, the eight years of the Obama administration, it was really the second term of Obama, where you saw what he was really all about and what he was really trying to do and what he thought about. That's when you got the executive orders on DACA and DAPA, and uh, that's when you had this big push for transgender rights and using executive orders on the environment and just, you know, Obama just, you know, unleashed to do whatever he feels like doing uh, and and to push for some really far-left policies. And But this is a constant theme with Democrats, you know. Uh, Republicans lie to their constituents about how Republican they'll be, and then they, you know, moderate a little bit. Then they get squishy. Then they Paul Ryan, if you will. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Paul Ryan. Gosh. What, what is he? has always been, uh, he has always been a, a squish on, on immigration. I've said this. You, you guys know this. Listen to the show. I, oh, Paul Ryan Sounds like he's a wonk on the budget, although I think he's really a self-styled wonk. I've really never been all that impressed with the guy. Uh, but and people say he's nice. I'll get people always say he's a very nice dude, so that's that's cool. But you know, I care about more than just someone being nice when it comes to being a very senior politician. Uh, but on immigration, he is he's terrible. I mean, he's like, yeah, we want guest workers, and the more the merrier, and dreamers need to stay, and the whole. I mean, he is just. Uh, you know, straight out of the Cato Institute, baby. I mean, he wants as much. That's a libertarian think tank in D.C., for those of you who don't know. You know, libertarians, the ones who are like, the more the more people we have, the bigger the economy. That's kind of, you know, free movement of people. Like, no big deal. And it's like, well, if you're part of the donor class, you own a lot of factories, a lot of casinos, a lot of restaurants. Yeah, then you want a lot, a lot of cheap labor just coming in so you can replace and churn the labor that you currently have and, and lessen their... Uh, wages, which is what has been happening, and it's what Republicans have been complicit in this at the most senior levels of government and the Republican apparatus. So don't think, you know, there are Republican issues that we need to really clear up here, and we need to take them to task on. But, stepping back for a moment, Republicans lie to their constituents about how conservative they will be. Democrats lie to everybody about how centrist they will be. This happens over and over again. And Nancy Pelosi here is a perfect example of this. Oh, that's right. Vote for us, and then we'll be more moderate in our rhetoric after the election. I mean, that, that's essentially what she's saying. That is 
ridiculous. I, I can't even keep a straight face as I'm saying it to you. When the, when the Democrats, if the Democrats, heaven forbid, Buck, bite your tongue. If the Democrats take a majority in the House of Representatives, they are going to go scorched earth against this president. Because that is the only prayer that the left thinks they have to get the presidency back in 2020. It's going to be a, a two-pronged election struggle. Right. It's going to be one, defame, destroy Trump in every way you can with whatever you can. And two, replay the 2016 election, redo the 2016 election, go back to a third term of, of Obama. That's the only thing that the left really has up their sleeve here. Um, the, those are the ways that you're going to see this play out. And I, I just think it's so funny that Pelosi, that's the classic Democrat routine. You see this with all these Democrats in red states, too. You know, that's why you'll have Democrats that say, oh, yeah, I'm, I like gun rights. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm, i uh, you know, not not for all all of the, uh, you know, NARAL, pro-choice America, uh, slaughter of the unborn. I mean, you know, there, there are some Democrats will play this game of the, the moderate blue dog Democrat and the gun-toting Democrat and all this stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, they disappoint because... They're really, it's a much more left-wing party than they're willing to say say openly and honestly. Now, the Democrats are now led by people on the left. I mean, when I say led, I don't just mean their leadership in elected office. I just mean the ideology of the modern Democratic Party has gone much further to the left than people uh, in the Democratic Party are, are willing to be honest about. Um, and that's why I think we have such a, uh, so much just, not disagreement at this point, but it's like we see the world in these completely different terms. Well, it's because if I'm dealing with a bunch of quasi-commies who don't pay any attention to history and think capitalism is bad and think that the government's always good, the bigger the government, the better, and you know, white males are an oppressive, terrible force in the world and need to be brought to heel, if, if that's who I'm dealing with, it's really tough to be like, yeah, let's find a middle ground. So just remember, Pelosi and the Democrats lie about being moderate, and unfortunately Republicans lie about being conservative. That's the way this plays out. The reason we're in this position in the first place is because Democrats have failed to come to the table. They have failed to work with this president and pass legislation that helps protect our country, that helps protect the citizens of America, because they do not want to secure our borders. They do not want to have a law and order country. Uh, the reason that we're in this predicament is because Democrats in Congress have failed to do their job. And the president's going to look at any way possible that he can find uh, legally and constitutionally uh, to make sure that we're doing everything we can. This has been a long-standing debate. There's good faith arguments on both sides. The natural reading of this amendment, which seemed to support unlimited birthright citizenship, but the history, the text, some of the drafters tend to go the other way. And courts view clauses like this as having meaning. They don't just dis dispense them. You can make, a, you can certainly make a good faith argument that it limits birthright birthright citizenship. Yeah, you can few points here. First of all, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I'm with her. The Democrats, they can't have it both ways. They can't be the law is the law and then be, well, but we're not going to do interior enforcement and let's not be mean and let's not separate families and all the rest of it. Right. You can't have it. You can't have it both ways. And they want to have it both ways with immigration all the time. They want to say they want a strong border, but they don't want to enforce the law when it comes to people illegally crossing the border. 
They say they want an orderly immigration system, but they don't want to do interior enforcement. They say there should be consequences for violating the law, but they don't want anyone to get prosecuted and sent home or anything else, right? So this is classic. And then with the constitutional aspect to it, I have to say, the only thing that amuses me more than media libs discovering the Constitution is when media libs discover the Bible, you know. And, you know, that's when all of a sudden you hear Corinthians 2-2. You're like, wait, what? What are they talking about? You know? Uh, so I, I, I love the, I love the Psalms. I'm going to read you now from the book of Psalms, they say in the media. Uh, yeah. So this is where you see that they, they have no actual principle that they're protecting or that they're, they're, uh, trying to institute here because they're, they're very literalist uh, interpretation of this clause. Let's understand is it's just not, it's not clear what that means. And also, uh, to take a literal interpretation of the Constitution also takes into account what was it meant to mean at the time, right? This is where liberals always go, oh, the right to bear arms. You can have muskets? No, you imbeciles. That's why we said arms. Yes, at the time, it wasn't AR-15s. It was muskets. But guess what? It is arms. And that's why it leaves leaves open for what arms were then to what arms are now. Uh, And that's why the press, the press is any dissemination of information the press is not an actual printing press and the jurisdiction thereof okay well what does that exactly mean what did that mean based upon the understanding at the time and what they were trying to achieve with this amendment with the 14th amendment Um, remember that the obama administration um first of all there's all this there's all this rewriting of history now about what the Democrats have been doing on immigration for the last 20 years. And here's a, here's a great example um, of, of that. You have Harry Reid. Okay, this is even before that. This was in 1993. But this is Harry Reid, who was among the most powerful Democrats in the country until recently. This is what he had to say about illegal aliens. Play clip 11. If making it easy to be an illegal alien isn't enough, how about offering a reward for being an illegal immigrant? No no sane country would do that, right? Guess again. If you break our laws by entering this country without permission and give birth to a child, we reward that child with U.S. citizenship. That's right. We do. This is like, okay, you know, if, if I rob a bank, I'll get in trouble. But my kid who didn't do anything wrong, you know, my my baby, when he grows up, he gets the trust fund I made with the money from robbing the bank. This is ill-gotten gains. They can try to think of it any other way they want. They can try to come up with other explanations of it. But that's just the truth. And, you know, now you have this debate over the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment, let's just get right to it right now. uh, It's all about making sure that after the Civil War, as written in 1866, after the Civil War, there was no question as a matter of law that African Americans would be granted, or, or, or had, would even be granted, had uh, full citizenship and all the rights and, uh, and protections that that confers. Now, there were some additional clarifications that were needed. For example, the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924, because for a while you had Native Americans who were on you know reservations and were under were under Native American jurisdiction, and so to clarify that and to deal with the possible 
lack of citizenship issue, you had the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924. Now, the only time, or keep in mind also that, you know, to be an illegal, there were no illegal aliens in the sense that at the time of the, uh, you know, in 1866, you, you did not have, it's a lot harder to get here. You did not have a welfare state and you did not have people who were coming on foot in caravans and elsewhere in large numbers into this country uh, you know, that, that just wasn't, that wasn't an issue that we didn't have millions of people that were coming in the United States from across uh, our Southern or, or Northern border at the time. But the only time that this has been dealt with in law is us uh, V Wong Kim arc. And essentially what that said was that if you are a legal, a legal uh, resident, right? So you're a foreigner, but you're here illegally and your child is uh, born in the United States, then yes, your child does get citizenship because you are fully under the jurisdiction of U.S. law. But there has never been a, a an adjudication of illegal aliens in the country and whether their children should get citizenship. And people just say, well, it is what it is because that's what it is. Well, just because that's the way it has been does not mean that's the way it must be. How would the left feel if the only argument that we ever offered up, for example, on traditional marriage was, it is what it is, and that's the way it always has to be? Well, clearly, that it, it, it doesn't always have to be that way because it no longer is that way because we now have gay marriage as same-sex marriage as the law of the land, thanks to the Supreme Court. So, it, you know, it was a certain way for a very long time, understood in all the different states, and then it changed. And on this issue, it's relatively recent that this has even been a phenomenon we have to deal with. And as I noted yesterday, it's a big thing. I mean, you've got three hundred to 400,000 illegal aliens giving birth in this country year in, year out. That's a lot of people that are getting the benefits of being in the country illegally. Uh, so there is nothing, there is nothing in the court opinions that have, have already been written and and and, uh, and published that would say that, oh, it's so obvious that you have uh, absolute birthright citizenship in the United States. Uh, for anyone who is here, and keep in mind, uh, there are diplomats and other people who do not and always have not had their, their children born in this country considered to be U.S. citizens because they were under a foreign jurisdiction. Let me also get to why would we ever, why would that ever be the intent of the law? Just just step away for a second from the specific wording of it, which we're obviously going to be arguing over here. I mean, the you know, in, in the country, we're going to have this argument. Why would anyone think that the Congress in 1866 or at any point since would say, yeah, you know what we want to do to borrow from Harry Reid? We, you know, we want to give people a prize for being in the country illegally. We, we want we want them to get something special because that's a huge incentive. And what the left really doesn't want to address is it's not just the people that are born here to illegal parents who then have citizenship, which is obviously a huge benefit that the, fa- that, that the child gets from it when the child's growing up and, and thereafter. But this is also how we have the anchor baby phenomenon because you can't separate families that's what they keep telling us. Can't that, That's heartless. That's cruel. This is the fabric of our society. You can't separate families. 
So if you have a family of eight from, let's say, Guatemala, and one of them is born in the United States, let's just say the parents came over, you know, the parents came over here, one of them is born in the United States, and then, you know, they want to bring in all the brothers and sisters and all the rest of the family, guess what? That's family reunification. These are all ways to scam the immigration system, and that's what Donald Trump knows, and that's why he's making this such a a case before the election. By the way, of course, people say, oh, it's political. This is dunce-level analysis. Yeah, of course it's political. We have an election coming up. He's trying to say this is what our side believes. Let's look at what their side believes. American people get to vote. I, I just think this is such a a non-analysis analytic point to say, oh, it's just political to do this. Exactly. These are politicians, and we're going into a, a choice for the American people as to which political party they want to empower. So it, it, would, be, it would be strange if they did not take the position. It would be bizarre if they were not trying to clarify where they stand versus where the other side stands. Um, and you know, that's, you know, it's also just interesting to see how all, the whole, the whole record here of, of where liberals are on issues on immigration is, is always in flux. It's constantly changing. Um, just, just a, as a little bit of a throwback here, um, here's what, uh, here's what Obama used to say about bringing your unaccompanied children to the border. Play 14. Our message absolutely is don't send your children unaccompanied. Uh, on trains or through, uh, through a bunch of smugglers, we don't even know how many of these kids don't make it and may have been waylaid into sex trafficking or killed because they fell off a train. We have no way of tracking that. So that is our direct message to the families in Central America. Do not send your children to the borders. If they do make it, they'll get sent back. More importantly, they may, may not make it. Was Obama being mean and racist when he said that? I don't remember the media claiming that he was. Was Obama being a terrible person when he stated that? No, he was just actually being being correct. But when Democrats say something that's obvious and correct, even if they don't mean it, you know, that's one thing. When Republicans say the same thing, they're terrible, they're evil, they're xenophobes. They have helped stop uh, a lot of the transportation means of these individuals in these caravans, forcing them uh, walking. They have helped us uh, in new ways to slow this down, to break this up, and keep it from moving as aggressively towards the United States. Truth is, these caravans, though, are being driven by leftist organizations in Central America. They are, and by human traffickers who, you need to know, have no regard for human life. You know, we're, the more information we're getting on all of this, the more information we have on this caravan, the more obvious it becomes that, uh, yeah, that's right, there are people behind this. There are people who are involved in organizing and funding and, and pushing this whole thing forward, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, and, you know, what have I been saying all along? That this, this talking point of, oh, they're a thousand miles away, and now they're 999 miles away, you know, this was ridiculous because what we're already seeing now is, according to NBC News an hour ago, oh, that's right, now that they've assembled and gotten all this attention, they're not planning on walking the whole way. 
They've advanced 250 miles into Mexico, and uh, you have them asking, quote, for buses. Weary migrant caravan rests in South Mexico, asks for buses. That's right. You got about 4,000, 4,000 people saying that, you know, they want buses and organizers. Oh, that's right. It's not an organized event, my friends, but there are organizers somehow. They got organizers who are uh, trying to get all these buses to materialize and get this whole thing going. And we're supposed to believe that there's that this is just all spontaneous. This just came together because there's really, there's really nothing in it beyond that. There's nothing to it beyond that. Uh, this is just nuts. It's just nuts. And there's such nastiness out there right now about... Trump sending more troops to the border. Again, they're saying, oh, it's political theater. It's political theater. Well, I mean, the, the military is not going to engage in a military sense. You're the military, just as they would be used. You know, when we send National Guard or when, when we have military that assist in a natural disaster zone, no one's stupid enough to say, oh, what are they, they going to do? Send artillery shells at the you know, houses that have been blown down? Like, no. Obviously, our military is there to help, to assist in whatever way they can, because the interests of the nation and and its people are the interests of the United States military. And this is the commander in chief taking it upon himself to try and assist our Border Patrol. And it's also a show of seriousness. It's also meant to say, hey, you know, whatever we can do, we will do. And we want Border Patrol to feel like they have the full backing and support of the federal government, which, by the way, not only did they not have under the Obama administration, they did not have under the Bush administration. The Bushes are bad on the border. You heard it here. If you've never heard it before, you've probably heard me say it, though. But the Bushes were bad on border issues. I mean, George W. was, he was, he was really a McCain conservative in many ways. I mean, he was uh, squishy. On, on some of these very weak on border issues and, and immigration issues. But we just didn't pay much attention to it because we, you know, had the really existential fight against radical Islamic terrorism going on. Uh, but I, I think that the president is, from a purely political perspective, making the right choices here to show the difference. What is the difference when it comes to immigration between the Democrats and the Republicans? And the Democrats don't really want to fix anything. They want to legalize more and more people. They don't want the laws to be enforced. They don't want a system that privileges uh, those who will bring special skills and be uh, more easily able to contribute to the economy in a net positive way. They don't want any of that. They want as many unskilled, uh, limited education, non-English speaking workers as possible, or even non-workers, people who just go on welfare. They want as many of them as possible as quickly as possible, because this is how the left, as it gets crazier and crazier and more and more socialist, thinks that they can turn America into a one-party state, a one-party uh, democratic socialist state run by the Democratic Party. Immigration is is central to that plan. Do not forget it. There's a revolt that has been brewing for some time among conservatives because we understand that social media giants out there have a leftward tilt, and we're sick of it. We don't want our conversations to be clipped, to be steered in other directions, or just to be entirely shut down. 
That's why there are places to go now where you can actually share your thoughts and ideas without worrying about bias and all this other nonsense coming into the equation. No agenda, no hidden tools. That's snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media site where you can post, engage with others, share your thoughts, and just have the conversation roll naturally. You don't have to worry about them using your information in ways you don't like. You don't have to worry about them banning you or shadow banning you or any of that stuff. And if you're a conservative and you don't want to have to ever deal with the moderators and garbage that's out there, snippy.com is the place to go. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Let's get the conversation rolling. So do you think, because obviously we're all caught up in this sort of daily Trump fest. I mean, every single newspaper, every radio station, every bit of social media. You got to make money, or, too. Well, it's you got, dissecting. You got, you got bills to pay, man. You got electric bills. You got food. You yes. know, this guy is he's giving you all cash, the cash flow in the Trump era for uh for these TV stations and for these... Can, can I say, that might have been an issue, and yeah. maybe it still is an issue for the people who are the bean counters, but yeah. we, the journalists, we, I think, believe that our job is to navigate the truth and to do the fact-checking and all the rest of it. So I think that's what motivates but a lot of people. But I think the journalists have taken it personally. Okay, They're personally wounded and offended by this man. He baits them, and they dive in. And what he's done well, I thought, is appeal to their own narcissism, to their own ego. Because what he says is these are the, and the journalists stand up and say, we are noble, we are honorable, how dare you, sir? And they take it personally. And now he's changed the conversation to not that his policies are silly or not working or any of those other things. It's all about the fight. He's, he's able to tune out everything else and get people just focused on the fight. He's going to win that fight. You know, even um, Bob, Bob Woodward said that in his book on the, on the Trump White House that a lot of journalists are too emotional about this. But it's hard for us to be dispassionate when words from the White House mm-hmm. are aggressive against us and, 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 and you know, raise the spectrum of violence against us. But you're not used to it. Think us. of the communities No, no, we're used of, to it, believe but me. think of the communities We've been out of there color. In the field. Think of Muslims. Think of... Uh, okay, the, so uh, this is where I want to jump in. John Stewart is absolutely correct here. That was John Stewart, the former host of The Daily Show, and The Daily Show was was actually kind of funny sometimes, uh, which it is no longer and has not been for years with Trevor Noah. Uh, but John Stewart is completely correct in his assessment that journalists' narcissism is the kryptonite that Trump uses against them, and it's why he keeps winning. They think that if they just pound their chest and say, but we're all about the First Amendment and we're the First Amendment defenders and, and we're really important and you know the country needs us. You know, we see them doing this. And we also understand that there are people who are, you know, police, firemen, first responders who are putting their lives actually on the line every day all over the country. We have men and women in uniform overseas who are still taking fire, we're still taking casualties in Afghanistan uh, and and still under threat in, in Iraq and Syria. And, you know, none of those people get to go on TV every day. Oh, my gosh, I'm so under, you know. No, they just do their darn jobs. They just do their jobs. Journalists are a bunch of self-obsessed babies. It's true. And I can say it with, with much less irony than many others because I wasn't always a journalist. And I don't even call myself a journalist now. I'm a I'm a media analyst or I don't know what we I'm a host, a radio host. Uh, But I've done other jobs. I haven't always been doing this. The worst ones are the ones that this is what they've always done, really. 
They're the worst. Uh, the ones that, you know, I went to J school and now I'm just Mr. Journalism. It's like, oh, gosh, give it a break, right? Um, that, but, but he, John Stewart, nails it here. And journalists don't want to hear it. You know, and even Chris, Christian Ramampoo, oh, I talk like this and everyone thinks I must be so intelligent because of my overwrought accent. Uh, she's even like, well, you know, it's hard to be dispassionate when the White House is being aggressive against us and raising the specter of violence against us. You know, no, it's not hard for you to be dispassionate. Stop being a bunch of babies. Stop being a bunch of crybabies, you know, and, and stop acting like because people at Trump rallies yell mean things to you. Every conservative I know has been who's in media has been getting uh, horrible things sent to them, said about them, death threats, all kinds of. And some of them actually get assaulted and attacked. I can think of prominent conservatives being physically assaulted in the, you know, Ann Coulter was, was attacked giving a speech once on camera. You know, people have actually been uh, it doesn't happen to libs. Well, libs don't get it. The libs, when they're giving speeches, don't get attacked. It's just not the same. It's not the same mentality out there right now. You know, the Trump people, see, this is really the difference. And I know they're going to say, oh, Buck, but what about that Trump supporter? Yeah, the guy was a maniac. And the maniacs can support, you know, anyone and anything. I mean, you know, we hear very little about the Family Research Council shooter, for example. But he was all about, you know, the MSNBC talking points and and wanted to wanted to kill people who were pro-life and, and pro-traditional family. Uh, you know, a lot of you are probably like, Buck, what are you even talking about? If you go and do a, you know, do a quick Google search on that, you'll be like, wow, this guy was a left-wing terrorist. But no one ever refers to him that way. He was. That's what he was. He was a left-wing. And he, and he actually shot people. So it wasn't, it wasn't just an attempted something or it wasn't just sending in threats. He actually took out, kind of like the Bernie Sanders shooter who didn't, Try to show up at a baseball field, but got caught on the way or something. Got there and shot people and almost killed them. Very nearly killed Steve Scalise. So, but Stewart understands this this dynamic. And now, now look, I am a big critic of the whole John Stewart clown nose on, clown nose off thing. It's like you know, it's like honk honk. I'm John Stewart. I'm all funny. Honk honk. And then. Oh, but now let me lecture you all on the Constitution in my Christian Amanpour impression voice. It's like no, if you want to engage in political issues, you have to be willing to you have to be willing to defend them as as a serious person and not hide behind. Oh man, I just have I just have fake puppets calling into my show beforehand. You know, it's all just a big joke, man. That's dishonest. And Stewart's done lots of that. You know, his show is all jokes, and then he has on a serious guest. And if it's a conservative, he tries to drill them. And if it's a, a liberal, it's all ha-ha, joke, joke, the right's so dumb, ha-ha. And that was what he did. I mean, he really just took what you already have in mainstream media a step further. The mainstream media is an echo chamber for left-wing beliefs and ideology. And what it does is create a forum. And this is whether you're reading the pages of the New York Times or watching CNN, where lib ideas win. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. Yes, they give you information. You know, yes, there's reporting and all there's reporting and, you know, breaking news and all this. But the lib idea always comes out on top. And that's the that's what those outlets do to really serve their audiences and have a loyal audience because people want that. They want to believe they want to believe that their side is 
is is winning. But the way that the left does it is dishonest. They don't say we're libs, here are ideas. They say this is just reality. This is just the truth. And that's why I say that CNN, for example, launders liberalism through a false prism of neutrality. And that's the secret sauce behind what the mainstream media in particular has been doing for a very long time. Oh, no, we're not liberal. We're just we're just the facts, man. CNN's apple and banana slogan. No, that's nonsense. They should just say, yeah, we're, we're an appendage of the DNC. We believe in the Democratic Party. We're going to bring you news, but we're going to give it to you from a Democrat perspective. That would be honest. Instead, they're liars. They're liars. Tapper, liar. Blitzer, liar. I mean, th- what they're doing is a lie on a regular basis. Cooper, all the rest, all of them. I mean, Don Lemon is like a whole other, woo, that's a whole other level. But, you know, he's right about, the, Stewart's right about the narcissism point. And it's so clear, and quite honestly, I think it's pretty obvious. I don't think that Stewart has come upon some bit of brilliance here. Yeah, the narcissism is what, the narcissism is what uh, Trump taps into of, because look, he understands people with big egos. Trump has a very, very big ego. We, I don't think we have to dance around that. Trump is a very egotistical guy. He's also the leader of the free world and pulled off the most incredible election victory that we will ever see, ever. There's, there's never going to be anything like that. The, you saw the most unbelievable election of your lifetime. I saw it of my lifetime. That's it. There's nothing that's ever going to be like that. Because even if something else is kind of like in the future, we'll be like, well, remember that time when Trump did that thing that nobody believed could happen? So, you know, I think the guy has kind of earned the right to have a bit of a, you know, you got to earn your ego. I think that's an important thing for everyone to remember. And then, you know, be humble too, but that's one part that I don't think we're going to too much from uh, from Trump. But nonetheless, he understands people with oversized egos. And, and this is where the media just really has no, they have no response whatsoever to this. There's nothing that they can come up with as an answer because it's so, once you get told that you go, oh yeah, that's right. Why is every White House press briefing about Jim Acosta? Why is every uh, criticism of CNN by the president a threat to our democracy? It's because these people have really overinflated senses of their importance. Let me tell you this, and you know, you hear this from me all the time. I am lucky to be in this business, and I'm better at this than a vast majority of the people who are in the business. And I don't say that to be immodest. I'm just being objective. I'm being honest with you. Very few people can carry a three-hour-a-day scripted, uh, unscripted rather, radio show. Very, very few people can really do that. Uh, but that's not to say that I also don't realize I am lucky. I am lucky to be able to do this for a living. I am lucky that this is my job. This is my job. This is my calling and my career because of all of you who listen to the show. You are the reason that I can do this. And it is only through my service, my constant effort to meet the expectations and the information and entertainment uh, needs of this wonderful audience, all of you listening, that I'm able to do this. But I, I have no expectation that, oh, uh, you know, um, America needs Buck Sexton or else. Of course not, right? That's, that's, just, that's just silly. That's just nonsense. But you see that a lot of these other big journo types at, the, at some of these big outlets, they really think, oh, my gosh, without us, how could the republic stand? Probably be better off. That's the real part. That's why when Trump calls them out, that's why they get so upset. It's because at the end of the day, it probably would be, uh, you know, easier without some of these outlets out there. I think some of them do act in bad faith and do spread misinformation and propaganda and and don't have a good ethos and, and aren't full of honest people. And I mean some of the big the biggest players in the space. 
but it's it's such an important thing. You should always feel like anyone that you see in in media, anyone in journalism, especially on the TV side of things, uh, they should feel blessed and lucky and be always exuding a sense of thanks and gratitude to the audience that gives them their job. And the moment that they lose sight of that, you know, that, that then you turn into one of these overpaid CNN crybabies, you know. The moment they lose that, that, then you start getting this mentality you see with, you know, the, the Acosta effect of like, oh, I'm just, I, I want to ask policy questions, but first I want to ask like why the president hurts my feelings. And like, let me just do the story about me. That's, that's the move. That's the maneuver. So narcissism is the Achilles heel of the media. Trump knows it and he keeps going after it and he should. And that's why he keeps winning. At the end of an investigation, if there are unanswered questions or they want something clarified or they want something for the record uh, that has the weight of, of oath, an interrogatory is appropriate. As you know, it's only in extreme cases do you actually depose uh, high-ranking public officials. And uh, the president, with rare exception, would be the hardest uh, to even consider, uh, especially when uh, Mueller doesn't have even one person that has been charged with any crime related to collusion with the Russians in uh, during the campaign. Interesting piece today uh, that suggests that there has been a, a subpoena, that Mueller has secretly subpoenaed the president. Um, and and now we're getting a lot of back and forth over this. President Trump has said no when he was asked if he's been subpoenaed. Jay Sekulow, one of his lawyers, says that there has been no subpoena issued. The special counsel's office uh, hasn't done anything in weeks, really. We haven't heard anything from them. And now we're left with this rumor as news story that there is a, a subpoena issued and that there's uh, secretly and that there's litigation going on over it. Uh, Mueller better not subpoena the president of the United States because he doesn't have the grounds to do it. Uh, he he will not have met. I mean, there's the constitutional argument that, you know, does he really even as an inferior executive officer, does he even have uh, the, you know, the ability does he even have the authority to do this. And then beyond that, there's the, okay, well, even if he has the authority, is it ethical under DOJ policy to subpoena the president of the United States under these kinds of circumstances? Meaning that there's nothing that has been proven. Uh, there's nothing that has been shown. There's nothing that even indicates the president colluded with Russia. And this notion that he committed obstruction this is not even a it's not even a crime that he could have committed. And so why would we be stuck in this weird, um, you know, funhouse mirror world of, oh, yeah, because Mueller wants to have a sit down with the president, he's, he's going to get one. That's not the way this is supposed to work. Business Insider, Politico, all of them. Has Mueller subpoenaed the president? Could Mueller have subpoenaed Trump? Well, like everyone's saying, is there a secret subpoena out there? I can't help but feel like this is a this is the media just just trying to throw one little and look this is a theory I'm not telling you this is I I don't have any sources on this I'm just analyzing what has been reported but I can't help but feel like this narrative that just came out today of oh yeah is there a secret subpoena for Trump they're trying to make some people out there remember you know and I know that this is all garbage you know and I know that there was no Russia collusion, that people who think there was are delusional and you know, and all the rest of it. 
But there are people out there. There are people who are still, oh, I'm on the fence about this. I don't really know. And it, and if they hear that there's a secret subpoena for Trump, they may say, well, I guess maybe there is something to that. You know, I'm actually going to go for the Democrat. Last minute, I think I'm going to cast my vote. If it's a tight election, I'm not really sure. And, you know, I I believe the rhetoric about health care and pre-existing conditions and all that stuff. I'm going to go with the Democrat. Remember how upset they got the media, about Comey saying that they were reopening Hillary's email investigation, whatever that was, a couple of weeks before the election. Remember how just, oh my gosh, it was so terrible, it was so unfair. I think that they would feel completely uh, justified in what is essentially a, a bad faith leak story like this meant to create the perception that there's more to the Russia collusion narrative than there is. I, I think that that's... You know, that's something that could very well have, have happened. And, I, you know, I haven't spoken much about this. Uh, this some, I think this is a thing that only journalists really care about, but I'll just give you the quick and, the quick and dirty on it. So there was a, a guy tied to the Gateway Pundit, uh, whose name is actually escaping me right now, but he, uh, what is this guy's name again? I'd never heard of him before. Jacob Wohl. A 20-year-old far-right internet personality who has written for the Gateway Pundit, um, he uh, allegedly tried to entice a woman to claim that Mueller had sexually harassed her in the most ham-fisted, stupid, ridiculous, kind of transparently obvious thing imaginable. Basically, he was offering women money to lie about Mueller I was then going to report on the allegations. Uh, What I don't think he understood is that of all the people that you would kind of mess with right now, by the way, if you, you know, that's, I don't care who you are, fake sexual assault or fake sexual harassment allegations are despicable. I don't care who we're talking about. We don't lie about people. We get them on what they did or, you know, what they're guilty of. We never should get people, anyone, anyone. You know, if somebody leveled fake sexual harassment allegations against Hillary, what? I wouldn't want that. That's not okay. I wouldn't be okay with that, right? We can get her on all the other crimes she's committed, but you don't ever put fake stuff out there. But this Gateway Pundit guy, or he writes for the Gateway Pundit, he uh, looks like he tried to entice somebody to lie about Mueller, and uh, that is not a bear that I would poke, let me tell you. Uh, For all the nonsense about Russia collusion and how it's going nowhere, Mueller's a federal prosecutor who's special counsel with a lot of power. I would not mess with the guy. So, team, we often talk about how the media is not to be trusted. We often sometimes discuss owning the libs. I've got somebody who you could say has expertise in both of these matters joining us now. Amber Athey is with us. She is a writer at The Daily Caller. She's the media and breaking news editor. Amber, so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Buck. All right, let's first just talk. I know you spoke at American University, so you went into the campus gauntlet recently and had to deal with all all that craziness. And there was even a little bit of backlash after you spoke. But before we get to that, just tell me a little bit about some of the the hateful rhetoric that's used against Trump in your piece. Definitely. So I decided to take a look into this because the media has, of course, been blaming Trump's rhetoric for the recent um, scourge of hate crimes, including the pipe bomb sent to Democratic officials, and then um, the anti-Semitic attack on a synagogue in Pittsburgh. 
And I thought to myself, I've been covering the media for about a year and a half now, and I can list 10 things off the top of my head that they've said about Trump that are just hateful and in some cases even violent. So on this list, you'll find things like uh, Nicole Wallace of MSNBC saying that she wants to wring White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders' neck. You had a CNN guest uh, just yesterday saying that she believes Trump has um, radicalized more people than ISIS, which is a literal terror group that has 100,000 members. Uh, and just the list goes on and on. Rick Wilson threatened to gut a, a panelist on CNN like a fish. So my plea to the media is if you're going to blame Trump's rhetoric for incitement, then you need to take a look in the mirror and think about the things that you're saying as well. Yeah, it, it is an amazing phenomenon to have seen in the last couple of weeks, and I, we've been talking about it a lot on the show, that there's a there's kind of a refrain um, dealing when it comes to the media that, you know, they basically are just saying to conservatives, hey, evil, fascist, racist, terrorists, why don't we all just stop using mean words? That's exactly right. <laughs> they, uh, Don Lemon, I think, was a perfect example of how the media talks about the other side. Um, on Monday night on his show, he urged not to demonize people and then immediately demonize people, saying that white people are responsible for terrorism in this country in the literal same breath. So these people, they talk about respecting the other side and ratcheting down discourse and being respectful, but they're often the worst offenders. Now, tell me about your foray into a, into a campus speech here in the swamp area recently. It, it got, uh, got quite a bit of buzz. Yeah, it got pretty swampy. So I spoke at American University and I was talking about due process, um, specifically in the era of Me Too and, of course, the Kavanaugh hearings that took place several weeks ago where he was accused of gang rape, of all things. And as soon as the event was announced, probably within 30 minutes to an hour, students started posting on social media about how they were going to try to shut down the speech. They had a planned safe space to physically hide themselves from what I was going to say. Um, and then after the event, the group that invited me, Young Americans for Liberty, actually denounced my talk altogether and said that I was uh, being inflammatory by defending the content of my speech and talking about it on social media. So all around, this is just another example of how college campuses nowadays um, have no interest in listening to opposing viewpoints. Um, and when they do have to listen to opposing viewpoints, they have a meltdown and act like children. And Colleges just aren't a place anymore where dissent is uh, welcomed and where people like to challenge their own views. It's now a place where people have to be physically shielded from anything they disagree with. And I got to say, this is the first time I've heard of the the conservative group kind of backstabbing the conservative who's been invited on campus. That That's a bit of a weird wrinkle. Yeah, I certainly was not expecting that. It is the first that I've heard of it as well. Um, and I was definitely disappointed because... If these people expect conservative ideas to win out on campus, then they have to be willing to defend them. And just by nature of 20 to 30 students showing up to protest the event, they immediately backed down and threw me under the bus. Very, very weak sauce, I got to say. I don't know what. Yeah, I, I expect conservatives. Yeah, I expect conservatives to have a bit of backbone, especially on campus about this stuff because, you know, but, you know, I guess they wanted to get invited to the. Sigma Sigma Phi party or something, and you know they didn't want to cause too many more waves for themselves. Uh, Amber, what else are you working on this week? Anything else that's in your sights? Obviously the election, but uh, what else are we going to be seeing you write about at The Caller? Definitely the election. Um, I just put up a piece 
about uh, NBC and Megyn Kelly's spat. They're currently negotiating her departure from the network. They're, of course, blaming the whole thing on her comments about blackface and Halloween costumes, but I don't think that's the case. Um, they've been trying to get rid of her basically ever since she started. Um, they're, of course, worried that she knows a lot more about their sexual harassment scandals than has previously been reported in the press. So right now, uh, Megyn Kelly's goal is going to be to make sure she gets her contract paid out, and NBC is going to work on making sure that they can get her to sign a non-disclosure agreement so she doesn't spill out any of those details. So they're worried that she may light them up after she leaves the building with, for example, everybody knew Matt Lauer was doing really gross, bad, terrible stuff. Exactly. And she's hinted in the past that she knows a lot more about Matt Lauer than people have let on. And NBC has still really failed to grapple with a lot of the culture at their network, um, including the way that they handled Ronan Farrow's report on Harvey Weinstein. Uh, which they let slide to another network, even though he said it was ready to report. She previous, Megyn Kelly previously called for an external review of how they handled that case, obviously rankling uh, NBC insiders who want to cover this up as much as possible. And Amber, I just want to go on the record, make it official, that Buck Sexton of the Buck Sexton Show and The Hill is offering up a ping pong challenge to any member of the caller <laughs> where you have a very nice table. I've seen that table. So it's a nice you, table. You you, you I, let them know I, that it's I, go time when anyone wants to take on the buck. I'll let them know, but I wouldn't be coming in here all cocky, Buck. We got a lot of players around here. <laughs> all right. The Hill versus the Caller 2019. <laughs> I love it. It's going to be great. All right. Amber, Amber Athey, everybody of the Daily Caller. Check out her latest there. Also, follow her on Twitter. Amber, thanks for making the time. We'll talk to you soon. Of course. Thanks, Buck. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. I don't know where we found that music. It's like from the Easy Listening Jazz Channel. You know, what we should have done is is pulled some spooky, you know, some Halloween stuff. You know, DJ Brandon, where are you on that? DJ Brandon is not. Sorry, I was talking to producer Mike, so I was. Uh, but uh, but DJ Brandon, you, you gotta you gotta you know spin some funky Halloween beats for us, like the Monster Mash. Yeah, exactly, dude. You know what's up. All oh. right, next year, next year. Um, good news is, you know, there'll be more opportunities to. Do some cheesy Halloween stuff. I know I've already asked you all the things about the dressing up and, and all the rest of it. But then you see there was actually a uh, a survey making the rounds today. Survey says uh, about the best and worst. Uh, well, the best candy, not the worst candy, because everybody knows that um, the worst candy are anything licorice related. Uh, but what do you think was the number one candy according to 538.com? Probably candy corn, right? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, which is correct, by the way. That is the correct answer for the best Halloween candy. It, uh, but I did think that Twix was a little high on this list. Twix was number three. And I'm just not... I know. I think people have a fondness for Twix because the 90s... Remember that commercial was, oh, yeah, bow, bow. You know, they that whole thing with the Twix bar and the crunching and... Ha- you know what I'm talking about, right? No. I'm a, I'm a bit older than you, so maybe I'm... I forget. I remember the Mentos commercial quite well. 
I remember the Twix commercial. Better, Mentos, precious. You know what's funny is that I used to uh, I used to eat Mentos. I'm pretty sure exclusively because I saw the commercial. So that stuff does work. Um, all right, now 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 I'll get to, I'll get to it. Uh, but Brandon, I expect your Christmas music game this year to be to be t- and and Hanukkah. I was I, just I expect- about to say. It's right. I know, Although I, know. I, I believe most Christmas music have been written by Jews, so you're welcome. Is that really true? Yeah, that is true. That's a fun fact that I did not know. Huh? Interesting stuff. Um, all right, so uh, here we go. Jen writes, "Shields high." I like when we start out getting right to it. I don't know how you live with this every day and not lose your mind. I have to take whole weeks away from news just to decompress and not lose my mind. They basically got firecrackers in the mail. They make me sick. Well, Jen, I mean, what they got were, were poorly constructed pipe bombs. But, I, yeah, I think, you know, the, the point is that this guy, if he could have, would have gotten bombs to people that, that would have you know maimed and or killed them. It just goes to show what a, what a complete maniac and lunatic he is. Uh, but the, the people that were really, with those kinds of, de- with the devices that, that uh, we're talking about here, for the most part, the people that are at greatest, that were at greatest risk, assuming that they were, devices that really could realistically i think that the it's likely they theoretically could have gone off but that not a single one went off makes me think that there was a a a repeated flaw in the design which they don't want to talk about because they probably hope that other people make the same mistake but the the individual with a pipe bomb who's probably at the greatest risk is when you're sending them to mail when you're sending them to big news organizations or the you know the intern who works in the mail room or the mail carrier or somebody who's just you know, in the vicinity of the package when it goes off. So, yeah. But, it, yeah, the news is tough to be around these days. There's no question about it. Things are definitely very tense. Uh, Steve writes, Crazy Uncle again. If you want a seasonal movie to watch, Halloween 3, the season of The Witch. For a while after watching it, hearing the tune of London Bridges Falling Down will give you shivers. Yeah, Steve, I don't... I've never seen all those Halloween movies. I tell you guys, it's, it's the truth. I just... Scary, really scary movies. I don't go there. I don't know. I, I try to protect my psychological well-being in in ways that I don't like to watch really depressing things. Then I don't like to watch really scary things, with some exceptions. I'm trying to get up the coverage, uh, the coverage, the courage to watch The Omen this year. So, Brand, Brand, you've seen it, right? I have. A good movie. Yeah, it's classic. I, does, I, does, I, it, does it hold up? Is it worth seeing even today? Yeah, I like a lot of the classic movies, and it's not scary by today's standards, so I think you will be okay. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what I figure. I feel like it's more, you know, almost like horror thriller genre right. instead of, you know, oh my gosh, it's like I'm having a bad acid trip and I can't escape, and it's all happening on my TV screen. It's more the concept of a possessed child is scary than the movie itself. Yeah, I know. Plus, I did see the Problem Child movies back in the day, so I feel like I've been prepped for this. You know? Rip John Ritter. That's Look at you. You remember. Well done. Carrie writes, real candy corn is made with honey, and they are delicious. You must have eaten cheap candy corn and left a bad impression on you. Carrie, I think guilty as charged. I, I, only, thought there, I only thought the cheap candy corn was the only candy corn. So I guess I got to learn something new here. Jim. Hello, Jim. Jim writes, The Changeling is a spooky but not too scary ghost story with George C. Scott, 1979. Very creepy. You know, Jim, I like the old-fashioned ghost stories. You know, I, th- those things I definitely, you know, I, I like the whole Headless Horseman thing. And, oh, I mean, obviously, uh, 
whenever you bring in um, Edgar Allan Poe and some of that stuff, uh, right? Uh, the, the the Cask of Amontillado. I remember that one. That one's really good. Do you know the Cask of Amontillado, uh, Brandon? I'm not Producer familiar. Mike, you guys know that one? I'm not. No, it's good. It's good. You know, some of that Edgar Allan Poe stuff, really. You know, the Telltale Heart, obviously. Knocking at my chamber door, all that stuff. I like stuff. the Simpsons version. I, I, I've heard the Simpsons version is amazing. I actually haven't seen the Simpsons version, so that, that's something. I'll watch the Simpsons version yeah, for sure. Yes, do a Treehouse uh, tree of Horror marathon. Oh, okay. I'll check that out. I feel like I used to watch something on WPIX 11 in New York City called, uh, they did this, like, all these horror, they had all these bad movies out. That's why I saw all the Chuck Norris movies, and, oh, Chuck Norris movies are amazing. I know, I know, but all these 80s action movies, because they were always on WPIX at, like, 8 o'clock at night. And I, and I could watch them. But they used to have, a, I think it was Stephen King Cat's Paw. Does that sound right? Or something like that? Monkey's Paw? Maybe, yeah. There was something, though, about a little girl whose breath was being stolen by this ugly little ogre. And there's a cat that defends her. Do you know what I'm talking about? That I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid, and that scared the bejeez out of me. Um uh, okay, apparently I have no, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's all right. I'm probably misremembering it a little bit. Jason writes, Buck, buddy, last night you're talking about Daredevil and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The creators of the Turtles comic book came and the same auto accident that blinded and created the, the Daredevil mutated the Turtles. A thing of toxic waste hit Daredevil, then ran into the sewers where the Turtles were. However, this is unofficial as the Turtle Comics and the Daredevils are made by two different companies. I don't know, Jason. That's a cool theory, but I've never heard that before. And I think I'm throwing a flag on this one. Brandon, do we buy this? Maybe in like an alternate universe, you know, comic, graphic novel, but I've never heard it, no. Yeah. It's I mean, like Jason, how they say cool... Breaking Bad is the prequel to The Walking Dead. It's just a fan theory, a fun fan theory. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a cool idea. I've just never seen that, and I would want a little... I'll be honest, I'm going to want a little more proof on that one before I can accept it as being the real deal. Um, let's see here. Robert writes, Hey, Buck, I'd be much more open to allowing immigrants and asylum seekers into the country if we could guarantee they could never vote. To take it a step further, their kids could never vote. We need to modify the 14th Amendment, which was intended to help the slaves and not foreign nationals. I believe the left, as usual, is playing the long game Get as many poor immigrants in who are likely uh, going to be dependent in one way or another on the government. Their kids, who will be citizens, are much more likely than not to vote for the left. Um, yes, that is true. That's why Democrats love them so much, because they know that people that are, uh, especially the children of illegals or illegals themselves, are, are statistically speaking. Look, I'm sure that there's lots of valedictorian, amazing, you know, children of, of illegal aliens. You know, that's this, this is not about judging every individual uh, by their immigration status. This is about the law as it is and what that means for us as a national level policy. Um, but yes, there's going to be a lot of people who depend on government. Taylor sent me a photo. It's amazing. And he wrote underneath it, dry aged bone and ribeye for 45 days amazing how much flavor it brings out soaked in butter and salt seared and grilled to perfection one i'm going to bbq with the buck sexton taylor that sounds amazing man that steak looks world class so you got me hungry it's a good thing the show's over i'm gonna go eat something team have a very happy and uh and and safe and and enjoyable halloween please 
I will see you tomorrow here in the Freedom Hut. Shields high. There are security breaches happening all the time. They happen to huge companies that have really sophisticated cyber infrastructure. So what makes you think that your data is safe? And if you're going to be using public Wi-Fi ever, do you think that you're going to just be able to do that without there being the possibility, the very real possibility of somebody accessing your data or using your browsing history even not for the most illegal purposes, but just to sell to social media sites and marketing companies and other things. That's what they're doing. They're tracking you. But if you don't want to be tracked anymore, ExpressVPN is for you. A VPN is a virtual private network. What that means is that you have protection from the very kind of monitoring I'm talking about here. I am somebody who's been trained in security and how to make sure your online activity is safe. You want ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package.